Way to go, church. I mean, I'm looking out here today, and I'm seeing all kinds of people who braved their way through ice to get here. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, what a crew we have here today. I was thinking back, uh, the first time I ever preached at Centennial was, I think, 1998 as a uh, guest preacher, and I was just in my mid-20s, and the pastor was Reverend Jack Cook back then, but uh, came over for a Sunday night and preached, and I preached a a sermon out of Acts 9 called The Garments Dorcas Made. And uh, I was preaching the whole time. And every time I'd say Dorcas, all these kids kept laughing. <laughs> like, what in the world is going on? I was sitting over here laughing. And uh, there must be some kind of inside joke. Well, after church, I found out that there was a young lady uh, who was in a youth group named Tabitha Welch. And uh, Tabitha in Acts 9 is Dorcas. And this is the same person. And so we got a kick out of that. Well, Tabitha went on to Bible college, and she married a preacher, and now they're going to the mission field of Japan. I'd like to introduce them this morning, the Burgets. Would you stand? Uh, it's not the Welches, it's the Burgets. And uh, it's neat to see them today. And we're so glad that they're here. And uh, Tabitha is Nick Welch's cousin. And if you look at them side by side, you would never believe that they are cousins uh, because Nick is like six foot nine, uh, in, in my books anyways. Uh, you know, anybody who's taller than me is six foot, and uh, he's like six foot nine or six foot ten, but he and Tabitha are cousins. It's great to have them today, and we're so glad to see them again. Uh, our Christmas offering is the next two Sundays, and we had some really good plans for the Christmas offering of what we were going to do, and then God changed our plans. Uh, so uh, here's how the plans have changed. Our friend in India, Brother Justice Benwell, uh, down in Tamil Nadu, uh, my wife and I and Autumn are going to see him on January 3rd uh, to speak at a graduation over there. This past week, uh, Justice has received uh, a gift from God, I believe. There is a school down the road from uh, their, main, their main ministry and their main school that is for sale. And uh, not, without going too far into detail, when you start a school in India, especially in, in the state of Tamil Nadu, uh, you have to deed the property over to the government for 25 years. And uh, so it's locked in. They have to know you're serious. Well, the school that is for sale has been around for 75 years. So the property's already been taken care of, and, and it's worth over $5 million, and it has 1,200 students which come with the school. Uh, the government supports financially all the students, but uh, Justice and his ministry uh, have this opportunity to buy this school and uh, to take over the loan uh, if they can come up with a down payment of $625,000. And I know that there are going to be hundreds of churches who are going to get in on this because uh, Justice has had such an influence around the United States. And his ministry has started over 500 churches in southern India. And so the next two Sundays, uh, on the 18th and then on the 25th, our entire Christmas offering is going to India. Okay, We were going to do something that had to do with our own ministries. And God said, no, we're going to send it to India. So that's what's going to happen. So uh, some of you have already started to give on this. A life group handed me an envelope this morning uh, where they've already sacrificially given. 
And I'm going to ask the rest of you just to pray what God would allow you to do. And uh, even if it means backing off of a Christmas present uh, for your husband or your wife or your kids, I mean, especially your kids, <laughs> it wouldn't hurt them a bit. Um, and to be able to give more to this, this really is an eternal investment. I'll tell you why. In the last five years, this school, which started as a Christian school, has become a Hindu school. And so 1,200 students and 61 teachers come every day, and they study, and they have to hear a, an hour of this Hindu religion. If Justice purchases the school, the moment that he signs the, the property and signs the bill of sale and everything, he can start teaching one hour of Bible every day and cancel out the rest of it. It, it can't be taught anymore. And it's, it's a huge opportunity. And it really affects uh, just thousands of lives, really, when you look in the long term of the Lord Terry's is coming. And so I want you to really be praying about what the Lord will allow you to do. And that's the next two Sundays, okay? Uh, let's get into the Word of God this morning. And we are back uh, in our series, Call His Name Jesus. And we're going to go over to Luke chapter 1 once again this morning. Luke chapter 1. Yeah, the winter weather has certainly started coming in on us. And I, as I said, I do appreciate your faithfulness. And I appreciate uh, our crew uh, of guys who have tried their best to uh, keep parking lots scraped and sidewalks uh, slick free. And, and I really do appreciate those, those fellows and what they do. Christmas uh, Sunday is two weeks out. And we have a very special service planned that morning, one service at 11 o'clock. I hope you'll bring your family and your friends to worship the Savior that day and uh, really focus in that morning on who Jesus is and what he's done. Last Sunday, we started our series, Call His Name Jesus, with a message entitled, What's in a Name? And today in Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in a familiar Christmas passage that I hope you'll look at with new eyes. Because there are some things in these verses that apply to all of us in our various walks of life. If you're physically able, would you stand? We're in Luke chapter 1, and we'll start verse number 35 this morning. We'll go through verse number 47. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things 
which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Today we're focusing on Mary's submission. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we could be in your house this morning. We thank you for uh, all those who you've brought safely to this place. And we pray that you'd be with uh, the Spanish ministry that's taking place right now. And be with Brother Bill as he's speaking over there. And, and a young Arturo as he's translating. I pray that you'd be with Kids Start and Kids Life. And, and uh, all those who are volunteering and, and uh, serving in the nursery this morning. And I uh, just thank you for your goodness upon us. And we thank you most of all for the gift of Jesus Christ. And as we talk this morning about who you are once again, I pray that you would help us to focus on your love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm guessing that most people in this room today know some things about the story of Christmas and uh, the things that the Bible teaches about Christmas and not just the traditions that have come about through years in society. One of the things that sometimes gets twisted is what Mary's role uh, had been in the birth of Christ. And, and we know from Scripture that Mary was a godly young lady and it, she was called upon to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was a human being just like any of us. And it, that's why we have to marvel at her submission. Because she not only accepted the direction that God delivered to her through the angel, but she also rejoiced in the great possibilities that God had arranged for her life. Out of all the time periods in the world, in history, this is the time period God chose to send his son. And it's remarkable when you look at the way that God worked in, in human history, in Western civilization, to bring forth Jesus Christ during the peaceful reign, the Pax Romana of Caesar Augustus. And a, what, a, what a remarkable time in history this was for Jesus to be born. Out of all the places in the world for Jesus to be born, for him to be born in a, the, the little village that had been prophesied, the city of David, Bethlehem Ephrata, from Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, even though his mother, Mary, was from Nazareth, and, and his father, Joseph, was from Nazareth, and yet he would be born in Bethlehem. And, and out of all the Jewish girls, many of these Jewish girls who had grown up in devout homes, even though the Jewish nation as a whole had not heard from a prophet for the last 400 years, they hadn't heard a word from God for 400 years as a nation. And out of all the Jewish girls that could have been chosen, Mary was chosen to be the instrument for a special task. And today I want to key in on the manner in which she accepted this news. And so let's start with Mary's response to the news in verse number 38. And there are four parts of the message today that I hope you'll follow along with us. There's an application for each one that we really want you to get. And the notes are provided in your bulletin. And so here we go as we begin. We see this first. God, I am your servant. Let's read again what Mary says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. 
the handmaid of the Lord, which is another way of saying, God, I am your servant. God, I am here to do whatever you call me to do. As Paul, the apostle, wrote to the first century church at Philippi, he asked them some very interesting things. He said, would you please all get along with each other? And in fact, uh, in, in Philippians, the book of Philippians, he calls out these two women who had been scuffling with each other and said, uh, Eodius and Syntyche, would you two just get along already? Uh, kind of paraphrasing what he said. Uh, but he wanted people to get along. And, and he said, I want you to be united in purpose. And I want you to value others as better than yourselves. But here's what's amazing is that he based these instructions on Jesus himself. And in Philippians 2.5, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was the mind of Christ Jesus? Well, verse 7 goes on to explain that he took upon him the form of a servant. He took upon him the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. And I find it so interesting that Mary, who modeled uh, the same attitude uh, that Jesus had, the form of a servant, was going to have a son, Jesus, who would also become her savior. And I think of the transition that happened during Mary's lifetime. Before Jesus is born, she hears this news that he will be the Messiah, he'll be the highest. And then he's born, and uh, the angels beckon the shepherds to come. And uh, there's great rejoicing, and Mary is pondering all these things in her heart. And the wise men, as Jesus is a young boy, they come to the house, and uh, they visit. And uh, Mary continues to, to wonder about these things. And as Jesus uh, gets to be 12 years old, and, and he's in the temple teaching the doctors and the lawyers. You think about uh, how her life began to develop as Jesus goes into his teenage years. The only teenager ever not to want to have been locked up by his parents for an ex extended period of time, right? All other teens, their parents have whispered at least once to each other, can we just lock them up, all right? And uh, some of you innocent, wholesome, wonderful teenagers who think your parents have never said that, when you get to heaven, you're going to find out that they did indeed whisper that once when you weren't looking. Okay, so just to let you know, there's no perfect teenagers except Jesus. But Jesus goes through this, and he becomes a carpenter in Nazareth. And uh, when he's 30 years old, he goes to attend a wedding of some friends in Cana. And here is Mary there, and uh, they run out of wine for the event. And she says, go talk to my son and do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus said, woman, my hour has not come. What, what are you doing? And, and yet he performs his first miracle. And, and then he goes around the countryside. He owns nothing. His pillow is a stone. He calls disciples to follow him. He goes into villages and he heals the sick and he changes lives. And Mary's hearing about all of this. And then at the age of 33, he's crucified on a wooden cross. And she stands at the foot of the cross weeping. And he looks down from the cross, and one of the last things he ever does is he beckons his disciple John to take care of his mother. 
And uh, you see the transition of her life as she has this son who one day she calls my Lord and my God. And, and so there's a tremendous amount of faith involved in her life and a tremendous amount of submission in her life as she speaks these words, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. That, that's such a phrase. Mary recognized that God is the ultimate authority. And she's willing to accept her place in his big picture. And she was ready to accept the role that she had been assigned for, that she had been made for. You know, there's a lot of talk about success in this world today. And most of the time, the picture of success is when you feel like you've arrived, when you've made it where you wanted to go, when you've gotten to the title or the level of leadership, uh, or when you get to be in charge, or whatever it is that you define success as in your life. But think of this. Mary obtained success before Jesus was ever born. Mary obtained success before she had ever gotten any title, before she'd ever been put in charge of anything. She became successful the moment she agreed with God on her role. When she said, be it unto me according to thy word. When she said, God, I'm your handmaid. I want what you want. Success begins in my life and in your life when we recognize the creator's authority structure. In fact, I'll go a step further. Almost every relationship problem, almost every personal issue, every internal difficulty stems from the fact that I am trying to rearrange God's authority structure for my life. And uh, you look at our society today, you know who some of the most confused people are, the most hurting people are, the people who have tried to take God's authority structure and twist it to fit their lives. The people who have said, you know what, God, uh, we know you said it this way, but we're going to do it this way. And uh, when you talk about the marriage relationship, or you talk about uh, a man and a woman being the ones who are married, or you talk about uh, how the authority structure works in a home, and how God made the man the head of the spiritual home, and, and God uh, put parents in charge of children for a reason. And I'm telling you, every one of the problems that we come up with in our lives and our relationships stems from the fact that we're telling God, God, I'm not your servant. I'm going to do it my way. And Mary, she said, God, I am your servant. And I'm going to do it the way that you say to do it, even if it makes no sense. Even if I wonder how. Even if I wonder exactly what's going to happen in my life. And so, God, I am your servant. And uh, we definitely can take, I think, that phrase and use it in our lives. Then let's look at verse 38 as it goes further. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. This next phrase I underlined in my Bible because it's so powerful. Be it unto me according to thy word. Now you think of this. Those are pretty close to the words that Jesus 
would use in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but thine be done. God, I want what you want for my life. Yes, I have some hopes and I have some dreams, but I will set aside my life dreams to accept your will. And here's a young lady who I'm sure had been educated in Jewish doctrines. And I'm sure she was looking forward to the traditional wedding of that time. I'm sure that Mary had high hopes about what her marriage to Joseph was going to look like. I like hearing Christian kids talk about their future. And I know this because I once was one. And I hear Christian kids who are 17, 18, 19, God, could you hold off the rapture until I graduate from high school? Right? Uh, Jesus, could you wait for your return until after the night after I get married? You know, they're praying some very strange things, these Christian kids. Yeah, but Mary, she, no matter what she was praying, no matter what her dreams were, no matter hope, what her hopes were, when she heard this news from the angel, the news that changed the entire trajectory of her life, her response was, God, you know better than I do. I accept. Uh, that's how easy it was. And look, it is great for all of us to have good plans for our children and for our future. It's great to have good plans for your own life. But it's even more important to realize that God's plans are better than my plans. God's plans for my kids are better than my plans for my kids. God's plans for me are better than my own plans for me. God's plans for my marriage are better than my plans for my marriage. Can you imagine how Mary's parents took the news? Can you imagine how Joseph's parents took the news? And Mary comes out of her room, and I don't know when she told your parents exactly if it was before her trip to see Elizabeth or after her trip to see Elizabeth. And can you imagine this conversation? You're a parent, and here comes your teenage daughter who's 16 years old. Hey, Mom and Dad, uh, set the remote down for a minute. We just need to talk about something. There was an angel who came in my room. An angel? Angel came in your room? Angel came in my room. He said that I'm going to have a baby by the Holy Ghost. And you can see dad as he stands up to get his shotgun. <laughs> He's saying, where is that Joseph? Where did he go? Now let's go get him. Anna, just wait. And mom's trying to calm him down. Just wait. Just wait. Anna, and she tells him about the angel's talk. And Joseph's parents, and what are they thinking? And Mary, she's in a tough spot here for her life. And yet, she says, God... You do it how you're going to do it. I'm going to allow you to be God in my life, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. And what a picture that is for us. I wonder if you've ever gone to God with this authentic expression that Mary had. This authentic expression that says, God, I want what you want for me. Uh, I happen to think, we kind of discussed this in our life group this morning, I happen to think 
that this is not the first time that Mary had expressed this to God. Now, reading between the lines, I think that Mary had possessed a submissive heart toward God and his will for as long as she had been able to make mature choices. I think she had been bowing her heart before God with this idea for years. And praying things like, God, here are my plans, but I want what you want for my life. God, I'm planning on marrying Joseph, but I want what you want for my life. Your will is my highest ideal. And I don't know if, if we always go to God with this. And, and sometimes we, maybe we do. God, uh, I'm thinking of taking a new job, but I want your will for my life. God, we're thinking about making a move, but we want your will for our lives. And uh, this is the highest consideration you could possibly have, which is to say to God, show me your will. And so why did God choose this particular virgin in this particular place? Could be because she was already open to God's will for her life. She had already expressed to God, I want what you want for my life. And now when the angel comes, she says it again. But then I want to go a little further. And another statement that I believe Mary makes, not only that yeah, she wanted what God wanted for her life and that she was God's servant. I believe that she may have said, I believe that you do the work. I believe that you do the work. And uh, I'll tell you how I came upon this knowledge. I'm pretty sure you could figure it out. When she first heard the news, look back up at this. Uh, verse 33, the angel's talking. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Right? And here's the angel talking about the future kingdom of the Messiah. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob, and he's going to be uh, the savior of all the world. And Mary's first question is, how's this going to happen? I'm not married. I've never had a relationship with a man. And so she asked this realistic question, how shall this be? And God answered, it's all on me. It's all on me. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And now Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And at verse 45, I love verse 45, as Elizabeth is talking through the Holy Ghost, she says this to Mary, and blessed is she that believed. You know what that literally translates to? Happy is the person who believed. Happy is the person who believed. That's a great statement. Uh, blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her by the Lord. Mary's faith is confirmed by the message from Elizabeth. And even when Jesus is, is born in the manger of Bethlehem, Mary's still trying to understand how, power, <coughs> excuse me, how powerful and wonderful God had been in her life. See, there's nothing that would take place in Mary's life that could be accomplished by human effort. There's nothing. There's not a thing that took place in Mary's life that could be accomplished by human effort. 
You remember what the angel told her in verse 37? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And in Mary's life, and in your life, and in my life, there are always things that only God can do. And my job is to do what only I can do. And then leave the things only God can do up to God. I don't believe that active faith just sits around and does nothing. Right? If you need a job, you don't sit by your phone at your house and say, you know what, I believe that God's going to have the right person call me. I believe there's a part that you do. Right? You do, you do some legwork. You do some things that, that you believe God wants you to do, and then you allow God to work the miracles. You allow God to do the impossible. And so my job is to do what only I can do. God's job is to do what only God can do. Active faith always moves toward God's purpose. But it also understands that if God doesn't work, nothing's going to happen. If God doesn't do his part, we're to stand still. right? And so there's an active faith that's going on in Mary's life. Where she said, God, it's all on you. I can't do it on my own. I believe that you do the work. And uh, boy, that's, that's a tough one for us. Because there are areas of our life where all of us feel like we've got it down. Right? Uh, no matter who you are, there's an area of your life where you feel like, you know what? I may not be good at this, and I may not be good at this, but I'm pretty good at this. I don't know what this is. Maybe it's cooking, uh, or maybe it's uh, you have a green thumb. Okay, now I have a black thumb. My wife has a black thumb. We don't grow plants anywhere in our house, <laughs> except the fake ones. Okay, that's it. It's the only kind we can grow. We don't have that ability. We just can't figure it out. We even when we try to do really good and fertilize the plant, um, somehow we do too much. I don't even know what we do. Uh, maybe you feel like you're pretty good at your workplace, at what you do in your job. Or your experience has, has given you some things in your life that, that you've developed that you're pretty good at. But I'm telling you this. Even in the area of your greatest strength, you need active faith in God. Even in the area where you think you've got it all together, God is still the only one who does the impossible. And we have to come before him and say, God, I believe that you do the work. And so it's pretty simple so far, right? God, I am your servant. God, I want what you want for my life. God, I believe that you do the work. And then we go down to verse number 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Fourth part of the message is this, my soul rejoices in who you are. My soul rejoices in who you are. And Mary continued, look what she said in verse 48. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. 
And uh, that's, that's such a statement there. It's a statement of humility. It's a statement where she says, every generation from here on out is going to look at me and say, wow, Mary was blessed. Wow, God really intervened in Mary's life. Nobody's going to look, biblically speaking, at Mary and say, you know what? Mary had it together. Mary had it all figured out. Now she says, there's a low estate of your handmaid. I'm just a servant. And everybody's going to look at me and say, she's blessed. For he, this is verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. Much more than being thankful for the great things in her life. Mary rejoiced in God her Savior as the giver of all gifts. Mary rejoiced in God as the giver of all gifts. She says, God, without you, there are no great things. Without God in her life, there's no good, there's no great. Without God in your life, there's no good and there's no great. He is the giver of gifts. And you know, it says later in the book of James that every good and every perfect gift cometh from above. And everything good in your life comes from God. Every wonderful thing that's happened to you, everything that someone would look at you and say, this person is blessed. You know why somebody would say that you're blessed? Because there's a blesser, right? If there's no blesser, there's no blessing. If there's no giver, there's no gift. It's all about the great God. In this season and in every season, my soul should dwell on the creator instead of on the creation. Now think of this because it's so hard for us in our culture. Uh, people in our culture and things in our culture and the thrills of our culture and sometimes the educational theories of our culture are inflated to these ideas where it's almost a religious thing, right? Uh, you know what one of the biggest religious things that people that would live and die for and act like it's a religion is in 2016? Uh, climate change, right? Climate change. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not a meteorologist, but I walked outside this week, and the climate changes all the time. <laughs> I figured it out right away. But there are people who religiously have bought into the idea of man-made global warming, and if you don't believe in it, you're out of their lives. Right? They have made it a religious litmus test. Uh, the theory of evolution is another that's happened over the years that people said if you don't believe that we evolved then you're just out of my life right if you believe there's actually a god you're out of my life and there's these litmus tests that people have that they've made into a god and you walk into the supermarket and there's magazine covers of all these people who've been airbrushed to look fantastic and if people make them into their gods and they follow them on facebook and on Instagram, so they can see when they post a new picture. And we make the people and the things and the theories of this earth 
into our gods instead of making God the creator our God. You say, well, how'd you come upon this knowledge? Well, I just read Romans 1. That's it. I just read Romans 1. I want to go with you to Romans 1 to end a Christmas message today. Isn't that weird? I want you to see it because it's, it's so unique and it attaches so well to how Mary responded. Romans chapter 1 tells us, through Paul, through the Holy Spirit, how we can know when our hearts have moved away from God. How you can know, even as a believer in Jesus, even as somebody who already has the ticket to eternal life inside of your heart, how each of us could stray from God and how we could begin to have feelings where we worship the things and the people of this earth more than we do the Creator God. Romans chapter 1, this is verse number 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped, here's the key word, and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What the Apostle Paul says is God's truth is changed into a lie when the people of this earth take humanity and all that rotates around humanity as the focus for their lives, as the priority for their lives, as the source of all their joy, as the source of all their happiness. You say, well, we, we've never had that happen at our house. Yeah, you've never had a kid like mine who said, can't we just finish the Christmas story so we could open our presents? Dad, do we have to read all the way through verse 21 this year? Can't we just read through verse 16? There's presents to open. I know that we get a chuckle out of that, but I just wonder how much truth there is to it. I wonder how much the consumer Christmas culture has invaded Christianity to the point where we worship the created instead of the creator. And I really have seriously thought about putting a paper in every box of presents this year that I do at our house, except for Sophie because she can't read and she wouldn't understand. And But the rest of them, can you imagine when they open their present and say, a gift has been donated in your name to an orphanage in India. You say, that's brutal, that's rude. Maybe it'd give us a real world picture. Maybe we could possibly understand that we're just here for a little while. And every time we get sucked in to what's wrapped up, we forget who gave it to us. You say, Pastor, you wouldn't really do it. I probably won't really do that. It probably just, we, you know, as parents and as grandparents, we get sucked into it too. And uh, we feel sometimes like we've got to do stuff. And we feel like sometimes there's a competition even. Right? And especially if, 
if you're in some type of a split family where there's step-parents involved and one is trying to love through gifts and the other one's trying to keep up. And I'm telling you, we've got things twisted. That's an interesting word because did you catch the beginning of verse 25? Who changed the truth of God into a lie. We twisted it. And we began to follow whatever it is that we follow instead of the one who made everything that people follow. We're not the first ones who've ever done it. Eve ate the fruit. She got tricked. Adam knew what it was, and he ate it anyway. People began to follow a guy named Nimrod, who said, you know what, we could probably build a tower that would reach to God. And the greatest diversion from God in world history has been religion. Trying to turn people away from God to get stuck in all these doctrines and all these things and all these theories. And so Mary was focused on the identity of God. She's focused on the identity of the Messiah. She's focused on the identity of the Christ child. More than she was focused on what the blessings would be in her own life. And we can easily see many people who fall in love with or get enamored with the things that accompany Christmas instead of the God behind it. And I fear that even those of us who have a Jesus is the reason for the season bumper sticker, or we have a sign at our wall that Jesus is the hope of the season or whatever it is, we can even fall for this trap. It's not just an external problem, it's an internal issue. God, does my soul rejoice in who you are? Or am I more excited about what you've provided? What would the greatest thrill be in your life? As you go into 2017, it's a fair question. What would the greatest thrill be in your life? And I'm not going to pick on what it would be for anybody, right? I'm a Denver Broncos fan. They won Super Bowl 50 this year in 2016. That was pretty exciting for me. I even put on my stocking cap for a couple days. People who follow the Oakland Raiders, they haven't won a Super Bowl for a long time, right, Rick? (laughs) And and so this could be the year, and they're really looking. There's a thrill involved, right? The Cowboys are good again for once in a blue moon. There's a thrill involved. And I'm telling you, there's so many pretty things that are on the peripheral of who God really is that we can buy into and that we can latch on to. We have to be careful. I'm not saying that because you're a Cowboys fan or Raiders fan or Broncos fan or a Seahawks fan. I'm saying that because for all of us, there's the danger of taking the created and saying, wow, you're shiny. You thrill me. I like you. I want to follow you. I want to enjoy you. 
And here is the God of heaven, the same one who sent the angel to Mary, who says, I made you for my good pleasure. And all I want from you, all I want from you, humanity, is to say, God, I'm your servant. I want what you want from my life. And what if we just said those things to God and we really meant those things? What if we said, God, I believe that you're the only one who does the work and my soul rejoices in who you are. You say, Pastor, there's information about the Christmas tree. What could I apply? How do I use it? I think one of the ways that you can use Mary's words is to recognize God's authority structure for your life. Say, God, I know that you're in charge, that you've set up a structure, that you've put in institutions into my life that I need to respect, and I need to understand how you've laid it out. And I need to realize that your plans are much better than mine, that your plan for my life will actually make me more happy than my plan that your plan will have others calling me blessed. We understand that there are things that only God can do. And we dwell on the creator instead of the creation. That's how we attach ourselves to the submissive heart that Mary showed. And I want to give you an opportunity as we close this morning in our closing prayer. Uh, whether you've never done this before or whether it's just a time where you need to recommit these things to God, let's bow and let's say these four things to God this morning. And if you really mean it and you really want to say this to God, would you say it to him right now as we close today? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this beautiful story of Christmas and of Mary's life. And we come before you today. And Lord, I, I say to you, and others say to you right now in their hearts, God, I am your servant. I'm your servant. I know that you're my God. God, I want what you want from my life. I truly do. I, I want your will. I want your purpose. I want what you want for my life. And God, I believe that you do the work. The work of eternal life can only be done through you. I can't do any of it on my own. And God, I worship you today as the creator of heaven and earth. I worship you today as the giver of everything. And help me not to fall prey to worshiping the gifts Help me not to fall prey to worshiping the things in my life that are part of the here and now, part of this earth. And Lord, as many in this room have possibly prayed this prayer to you today, I pray that we would walk out of this place today changed because we have submissive hearts, because we're willing to say, God, I really do want you to work your will 
in my life. I'm tired of trying to do it my own way. I need you. I need God with me. Emmanuel, God with us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.